10, please. We should know what we can do to serve Jesus. We should have a plan. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. And we should have a vision and a plan to do so. Uh, this is... Now, this carries an eternal weight, I believe. Proverbs 29:18 tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. Souls depend on our readiness to be available to serve God. But there is a danger to discounting God in our service. And we serve God in our own strength when we choose what is convenient, when we act only within our limits, when we make knowledge a condition of obedience. We're going to see an example of that this morning and how subtle it is and how dangerous it is to the Christian walk. Let's read now Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, him being Jesus, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were, of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this time, this opportunity to come into your house and to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your word preached. We thank you, Lord, for the weather that we've enjoyed, safe trip you've given Judy and I. We ask now that you'll watch over us as we serve you, as we, uh, as we hear your word, that your Holy Spirit would go before me, that he would guide and direct in what is said, and it would not be what I find interesting, but what you want to hear. We pray also, Lord, for your blessing on, uh, on each one of us, that the Holy Spirit would guide believers in all truth, as he's promised, that he would... Convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment as you have promised he would do, and that your word would not return unto you void this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Christians must remember that God calls to service on his terms. If you take one step of obedience, also God then directs the next step. At some point I have found God directs to a next step more than I intended or than I even wanted. But it just seems obvious to me, if I want to be obedient to my Savior, that that next step is the one that I should take. And praise the Lord, he leads us one step at a time. If I had seen this coming 20 years ago when I got married, I've told Judy, I'd have another job. But praise the Lord, he leads us one step at a time. Are you prepared for this? Notice first that Peter answered when Jesus called. Jesus met Peter at work. Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. God wants to meet you at work, Christian. God wants to see what you're doing, and God wants to be a part of it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
challenges to our faith or opportunities to witness. And that is the time when God shows up, is when your faith is challenged. Are you prepared when God shows up? We just prayed, John 16, 13, that God would use his Holy Spirit and guide us into all truth. But what is truth? John chapter 17, 17 defines this. That is where Jesus Christ is making his high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is, he is praying that we would, he is praying for us. And he says in John chapter 17, verse 17, Sanctify them according to thy truth. Thy word is truth. What is sanctification? It is separating ourselves not just from the world, but separating ourselves unto God. And sanctify us according to thy truth, according to God's truth. What is God's truth? It is the word which he has spoken and that he has left for us. Being prepared for Jesus to meet you at work, Christian, is nothing more than doing what the Bible says. Well, there's a lot in there, Brother Cromwell, yes. But we have the promise of God's leading according to his word. Now stop and think about that. A couple of years ago, I was working for a, for a local employer, a commercial bakery we affectionately call the Cookie Factory. We produced Oreos, Nutter Butters, Fiber One Brownies, Chips Ahoy, and all the other dietary essentials uh, for, the, uh, for, uh, for American consumption. And there was, I was on the sanitation crew, which meant we had free run of the place, which I kind of liked. And uh, I also meant we didn't have to punch in at any one point in the, inside the factory floor. I could clock in and out, swipe my card anywhere in the building, which was great because we could work right up till the end, or I could be the very last minute getting in and still swiping in time. It was, it was a great job to have, and I would have kept it, except God called me to this. But every time Fairhaven Baptist Church was having a special series of meetings, if it was uh, the preaching conference, if it was the Christmas music, if it was uh, Easter, if it was our Patriotic Sunday, I would bring tracts for that meeting and I would hand them out to my coworkers. They knew that I had been a preacher. They knew that I was working. And these men, they came from Gary, Gary, Indiana, rough part of the world. And they had, they could, they spoke in vulgar tones. They talked of wicked things. But they were, when they saw me hand out those tracks, they knew, they said, okay, Byron, look, you just go mind your own business. And this is the boss would tell me this. We're having a conversation. You don't want any parts of this. And you just go organize the, the supply cage, and then we'll come and get you. And they always did, and it was great. And it worked. It was not great that they had this sin, but it was sufficient to my, to my task to, do, to work for them. And, I mean, these guys, you know, they would tell you it's not summertime in Gary till the first triple homicide, okay? Um, and then they talked of other, uh, of other things that went on in their lives. But, uh, but I handed a tract out. I came back from Mexico. This was three and a half years into our ministry. And I had come back, and we were having a church meeting at Fairhaven, and we had our midweek service, and we broke up for prayer meetings. And I spoke to the man in charge of the prayer meeting, and, hi, welcome back, how you doing? And he said, you remember, and he gave the name of a co-worker from the cookie factory, and I had to stop for a minute, yeah. She says, you gave her a tract, yeah. Well, she got saved recently. I hadn't seen that, that woman in years, been four years. She comes to church now. I still haven't been at church at a time when I would see her, and when I would see her, but she and her kids, and she's saved and baptized, and her kids are coming to church now. All I did was be obedient. 
All I did was go out with a tract and I placed it in the hands of my co-workers. I didn't pray specifically for my co-workers. I prayed, Lord, put me in a position, excuse me, and make me useful in your service so that I can effectively reach these people. And God did that. God wants to meet you at work. He wants to use you. Not in some great way that you're going to take a break time and lead a sobbing employee to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through a moment of prayer and supplication, although that can happen. But I think the, the working of the Holy Spirit to the, for the lost world to see is much more pedestrian than that. God wants to use you in the simple things, in the small things. We'll get to that in a minute. But Peter was willing to serve Jesus. Jesus asked for Peter's boat. Jesus asked first. Now remember, Jesus owns everything. But he will not take what he has not given, starting with your soul and throughout your life. The Bible says in verse 3, um, and, about, and he, being Jesus, entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Peter had served God in an important way. That boat was Peter's commitment. It was his working inventory. It was his capital good. He owned a fleet. That meant he had a lot of money wrapped up in that thing. It was a big commitment, but it was easy. Now, it's not wrong to serve God when it's convenient. We don't sanctify ourselves by making things difficult. And, it's, and Peter, uh, Peter was willing to serve the Lord because it was convenient. He knew by all counts he'd get his boat back. And here Jesus was using his boat. Hey, maybe it's good advertising. Jesus, the master, was using his boat as a platform to preach from. And if Peter thrust out from the land, that meant that Peter uh, was in the boat with Jesus. And if they were mending nets, that tells me something. That Peter was mending nets while Jesus preached. That may not have been the best thing. Because after Peter, uh, because the Bible tells us next, Peter, Jesus got into Peter's business. Verse 4 of Luke chapter 5, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. When he had left speaking, the Bible says, We don't know what Jesus said, and evidently Peter did not know either. Evidently Peter wasn't paying attention to the master. I think Peter was mending his nets and paying more attention to, to fixing frayed ends and tightening knots and cleaning seaweed out of his nets than he was to listening to what Jesus had to say. And sometimes I think people come to church and they do the same thing. They're in their mind going over shopping lists. They're looking for things to criticize. They're wondering how their kids are doing downstairs maybe, the roast in the oven, what have you. Some people don't know when, what the preacher is saying until the preacher is finished. We can always hear when the invitation's coming. Oh, he's almost done. Good, I can get to the bathroom and go home and eat. But this posture also left Peter unprepared to serve. It was not just what he may have been instructed, per se, but also Peter's posture and his presumptuous behavior. You leave church unprepared if you don't come and pay attention. I have sat under some men in my years of listening to, pre listening to sermons whom I later learned should not have been in the pulpit. And I have sat in churches at a time when if I had known what was really going on, I would have left. If I had been as articulate in pastoral criticism as some of the people I worshipped with in those churches, I wouldn't have been there. God kept me from all that. I'm not saying that God places a premium on ignorance, 
But you don't have to know everything to serve God. And I praise the Lord that during that time I heard Bible preaching. I heard the Bible, the Word of God, even from a man who, who, shouldn't, have been, who shouldn't have been praying or shouldn't have been preaching, who had wrecked his qualifications. <clears throat> I didn't know it. And God used that preaching nonetheless. I would not go back to here. And this became one of the issues that my wife and I had to leave that church is men who shouldn't be in the pulpit. Because Jesus then told Peter something unusual. Peter was not prepared. Jesus told Peter, put your nets into the deep. He said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now, this, the usual was to fish at night, close to shore. When the fish come to the surface to feed, this was Peter's profession. I spent two years, two summers, on what we call the slime lines in Bristol Bay, Alaska. I was born and raised in a little town just outside of Alaska called Anchorage. And um, we, <clears throat> we, to pay for college, I was in secular college and went fishing. And we worked in the, in the seafood process houses. The set netters would anchor a net on shore on a plot that was surveyed like a mining claim. And, they would, and the, the state fish and game department would fly over these claims to make sure that they weren't being fished out of season, which would open and close by the hour in Alaska, in this part of Alaska in this particular fishing district. And they would put a boy on their nets, and they would run their nets about 200 yards out from the shore at low tide. Then as the, as the uh, tide came in, the nets would rise. The fish came in close to shore to find the river where they, where they migrated upstream to spawn, and they would get hung up in the nets, and they would be caught. That's how you fished. You fished close to the shore, and at night was the ideal time, not during the day. At day, the fish were hiding in the deep. And Jesus knew that, and Peter knew that, but it was not the usual to fish in deep water at night. Peter's profession, he had a partnership. He knew what he was talking about. Now, Peter faced embarrassment, though. Coming up all night was not up empty after a night's fishing was not unusual. In verse 5, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and taken nothing. But it was also inconvenient that Jesus would tell Peter to... Uh, it, uh, Jesus would tell Peter to go out into the, into the deep and drop his nets. It was inconvenient because now Peter would have to get up and do something about what the master said. There's a lot of times people don't get saved because they just don't want to do what the Bible says. They understand, they agree with all the points about Bible salvation. But when you ask them, would you turn to Christ to receive salvation is when they stop. They just don't want to do it. They don't want to take that step. But there are also many Christians. Would you go out and make this visit for the pastor? Would you uh, come Saturday uh, to go out and knock on doors? Would you take part in some training on soul winning and how to, how to reach the lost for Christ? Well, that involves getting up on Saturday, remembering to do that, shaving, getting dressed, driving down there. Um, who knows what types of inconveniences you'll have to run into, issues you'll have to deal with. And a lot of times, God's work stymies because of simple Christian intransigence. I don't want to say laziness because I think you'd invest more effort finding excuses not to serve God than if you just served God in the first place. That's just been my experience. And I think that, they, that uh, Peter was, I, I think he was annoyed that Jesus would ask him to do something that wasn't easy and also wasn't important. Peter would have to do something about what the master said. 
Now, the preaching was easy. He could, Jesus could preach to all those people who needed to hear it while Peter sat in the back of his boat and mended his nets. Kill two birds with one stone. I get credit for going to church, and I get my work done. Isn't that easy? Isn't that easy? Daytime fishing meant work. You know, ministries fail. Souls go unreached because of disobedience and sheer laziness. We taught young men to do follow-up work in Maine so that no one would be missed. Do you know in six weeks we only knocked on about 45 separate doors where we met someone, not including the empty buildings where there was nobody in the welfare apartments. We knocked on maybe 45 doors and met somebody. That's all we did. There are churches who would tell me that I was ineffective as an evangelist if all I did was 45 doors over a period of six weeks. Even especially if I was training other men, you should have been able to do 45 doors a day. Well, we didn't. But we taught the men to be thorough. This was not glamorous. It was not record-breaking, but it was thorough in the gospel and doctrine and presentation. It was thorough in our training and preparation of these young men. I'm not some tremendous minister or instructor of how to preach the gospel and witness. All I know to do is put one step in one foot in front of the other and go out and invite people to church. It's like learning to ride a bike, but you do have to learn it. But Peter at his posture, which was unusual, being faced with an unusual task, embarrassing and inconvenient, by a preacher who got into his business, he began to question God's will. Remember how Satan tempted Eve in the garden. He tempted Peter the same way. Yea, hath God said? Look at verse 5. Simon answering said unto him, You're not serving God if you're answering him to argue with him. You're not serving God. Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word. Nevertheless, there's either master or there's but. There's master or there's nevertheless. There's not. You can't have both. But Peter argued with Jesus. Did God really mean that? So Satan uses small things to annoy us and invite disobedience. We're talking about Saturday morning to go, to go out knocking on doors, for instance. What else are you going to do Saturday morning? Watch cartoons? Um, I'm, I'm serious. Put your time to something useful. Now, I don't mean that everybody's going to be able to make every Saturday. The devil likes to get in the gum up the works when we get serious about going out to minister and serve the Lord. And I think the, the hardest issues are going to be the practical issues of putting one foot in front of the other, getting on site, prepared and ready, just getting yourself out there. You're going to find the devil does all kinds of things to discourage and interrupt that, interrupt that work. And Satan uses small things to annoy us into disobedience. Satan says that small things are demeaning. One, our pride likes to rejoice in great things. Boat, Lord, fine. No problem. It only cost me $2.5 million to go out and get a top-of-the-line fishing vessel, but if the master needs it, he may use my boat. That, that inflates the ego. That, that serves our pride. But God is the God of small things too, and if it's worth an argument, it's not a small thing. If God convicts you, it's important to him. If you're willing to argue, it's not a small thing to you. All obedience glorifies God as well, and God wants to bless you. If God wants small things, don't resent, rejoice. If God wants what's unusual, don't doubt, do. I attended Odenton Baptist Church, Odenton, Maryland, when I 
was in my early 20s, and after a number of discouraging setbacks in evangelism, I uh, finally decided that if God had called me to preach, I ought to get started. But Odenton Baptist Church was facing a crisis where the state inspector came in and said, if you don't clean these carpets, we're going to shut down the 600-pupil Christian Academy. Well, church got a $2,500 then, this is 20 years ago, state-of-the-art carpet cleaner. You had to plug the thing into separate circuits. It used steam and pressure to clean up the carpets, and then the mushrooms wouldn't grow back for another week. I'm not making this up. We had mushrooms growing on the carpet in one of the rooms probably what tipped off the inspector. Um, we, uh, but we had to, the assistant pastor beat me to the punch asking if they were edible. But we had to get this cleaned up. Okay, pastor, I can help you with, the, with steam, and steam cleaning the rooms. And that became my job. After I got done with my duties on base, I spent 20 hours a week, a second job, clearing the desks out of a room, vacuuming it, then preparing it for Saturday, I would go in and spend eight or ten hours cleaning three classrooms. I got to where I could do the, cover the entire building inside of six weeks, and I thought that was doing pretty good. Along the way, the men would come for prayer, and I would meet the men for prayer as my machine warmed up because it took it a while. And, you know, after a while, the devil started to say, look, they're going out to win souls. They're doing the work of the Lord. They're the ones going out and visiting. How come you don't get to do that? And it was tough to be, you know, to be patient doing the small things. But then I saw God using me in the Sunday school class. We saw a handful of children come to Christ, a knowledgeable salvation, not just one, two, three, pray after me, and a a testimony of I did that already, but to truly say that they knew that Jesus had saved their soul. That takes time. It takes thoroughness. You can't do that in a five-minute visit. God can, don't get me wrong, but it's not the norm. You got it. It, it takes time to teach people who Jesus is and what salvation is. Salvation is not a long, arduous process. It is very easy. It is very simple. But it takes time to learn. So if God wants small things, let him use you in the small things. And then Peter applied his own knowledge. Peter told Jesus what he knew. We've toiled all night and taken nothing. We all think we know what to do to help Jesus. But this is not faith. Sometimes God wants us to do things we don't know about. Sometimes God wants us to learn something new about him. Sometimes God wants to use us in a way that we have not considered. And you're never informing God of anything. Jesus knew what Peter had been doing the night before. Peter was doing his job, and he was failing at it. We all, and so you're never informing God of anything. He knows the circumstances. He knows your frustrations. He knows the depths of your experience, the limits of your knowledge. And Jesus also knows what other people think. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is that famous verse about the power of the word of God. The word of God is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible tells us. And the verse closes saying it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If somebody puts you on the spot at work about your faith in God specifically, Give them the word of God. Know what the Bible says about what you're doing and be prepared to answer every man for the hope that is within you and you will find out right now, are they serious about their challenge to your faith? Are they asking questions or are they looking for excuse to ridicule? It will give you insight into their thinking. And that's how God uses, one way that God uses his word. God wants to use your circumstances to reach lost people. But Peter only followed Jesus after an argument. 
partial obedience is disobedience. Nevertheless, at thy word, Peter concludes in verse 5, I will let down the net. Net singular. If it's not worth doing, I guess it's not worth doing well. And this decision cost Peter a net. I wonder if that's the same net that he was fixing in the boat while Jesus was preaching and he wasn't paying attention. But Peter thought that he was entitled to that decision. He thought he had arrived. And I think, first of all, he stopped paying attention to Jesus. He knew all he needed to know. I've seen overseas and in churches in this country, the first thing people promote themselves out of as they claim growth in church is the commitment to personal evangelism. Their job is too important to go soul winning. I've heard that. This is a church of 20 people on a mission field. But somebody decides they're too important to go out and knock on doors. That surprised me, but it's not... It's sin, and we are all lost sinful creatures, and it shouldn't have surprised me. But it did. It's disappointing. It also cost Peter the singular testimony of a blessing. He lost his net because he was unprepared. If Peter had obeyed God, if he had been of a posture to listen to the Savior, if he had used all his nets like God said, they would not have been broken. Using all nets would have meant calling more people to help him. James and John, the son of Zebedee. Guys, the master said, let's go fishing in the daytime. I don't know why. He said, do it. Let's be obedient and prove the teaching of the master and see what happens. But that's not what happened. And others would have seen Peter's success and glorified God if he'd done that. Obedience prepares you for a blessing. If you're disobedient, not only do you miss the blessing, do you not see the blessing, but you're unprepared to take it. Obedience teaches us to rejoice and, and and to be thankful in all things. But all Peter saw was his sin and its consequences. Peter saw that he was unfit to serve Jesus. When Peter walked on the water, as long as he looked at Jesus, he stayed on the surface. But once he got distracted, he was in it up to his neck. And so were we when we choose not uh, not, not to obey Jesus in all things or to pay attention to him. We cannot start or finish God's work without God's help. God's plan is to use us to his glory In Hebrews 13, verse 6, the Bible tells us that we can testify that the Lord is my helper. Does what you do right now glorify God? Well, let me ask you this. When you're done at the end of the day, can you thank God for what you've accomplished? Can you thank the Lord for how he used you? Were you paying attention so the Lord could use you? Did you recognize God using you? Were you obedient to follow him? And then Peter saw his limits that they were really self-imposed. You see, Peter wasn't expecting Jesus to do anything different than what Peter knew. If you go out knocking on doors, expect God to do something unusual in usual circumstances. You're knocking on the door, introducing yourself to people. They've dealt with this all their lives, just like you've dealt with people, knocking on your door all the time. Nothing new about that. And expect God to use those ordinary, pedestrian, even banal circumstances to bring lost people to Christ in ways that you never considered. Peter was not expecting Jesus to do anything different, though. Peter was on his way, saved, and he was on his way to heaven as a successful businessman. There's a lot of us here who are on our way to heaven. But are you going to heaven as a worker, uh, as a homeowner, as a good neighbor, uh, as a church member even, as a missionary, as a pastor? Or are you going to heaven as an obedient child of God? You can be on your way to heaven and presume to make the trip on your own terms. 
And that's what Peter was doing. Peter was willing to serve God with all he had, which was just the problem. Peter didn't look beyond what all he had. Someone who's just looking at the horizon and what they have in their circumstances, that defines carnality. Not necessarily the lust of the flesh, but, it, but the fact that you're not looking past this earth to the Lord. Peter then adopted and <clears throat> assumed a conceited posture. Peter took his ability to serve Jesus for granted, and Peter promoted himself from servant to benefactor in the, Lord works, in the Lord's work. Peter thought he could handle the rest himself. Peter did his work while Jesus preached because he thought that he was entitled or maybe required to do so. The devil loves to put his commentary into the word of God about the business of working to serve the Lord. He loves to make us think that we have to do it all ourselves. But we forget that God is in control of it. And if God is in control, God will give us the strength and the direction to carry out the tasks that he has given us. But Peter's small and false decisions about the net, about listening to his Savior, about arguing with his Savior, about applying his own knowledge, showed his lack of faith. Jesus Christ has power to bless and authority to command. Not ourselves. There's no point at which Jesus takes his hands off of us if we, are, if we have received salvation. But now Peter began to see Jesus with power and authority. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus had the power and authority to command even small things that in our minds we take for granted. Jesus was not just a spiritual leader to Peter, but God himself. Effective Christian service is not just breaking out of your comfort zone, but yielding entirely to God. God wants to use us more than we even intend or would know. Obedience in small things prepares us to serve when God shows up. We don't need to be surprised. These men with whom Peter uh, served, when his net began to break, they were not in a position to receive a blessing. They could only panic. And they worked and they panicked. The Bible tells us the net break. I bet some of those fish got away when that net began to break. And when the net break, they began to lose their blessing because they weren't prepared. The blessing was still there to be had. It was evident and obvious by that point, but they weren't ready to receive it. And Jesus responded to Peter, though. Despite the mess of his own making, Jesus told Peter, fear not. He had broken a relationship with God which could only be repaired through confession and forsaking sin. Because Peter had promoted himself, he had succumbed to pride. And thus Satan attacked his strength. You see, Peter had no joy in, in, uh, in obedience and rejoicing. And thus the joy of the Lord, the strength of the Christian service, could not belong to Peter at that point because he had forsaken it. You are not rejoicing in obedience in faith if you attempt to serve God in your own strength. Don't ever forget that Jesus keeps us and not ourselves. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and we're getting close to the, and we're about to close here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, from all unrighteousness. That is a promise made to the Christian who has salvation. As God shows us our sin and the things from which we should turn, even if it's our own plans, even if it's otherwise something that we should have, God points some uh, uh, highlights it. He puts his finger on it. He says, turn from that to serve me. That turning is called repentance. And the Christian's life is forever a life of repentance as God shows us how to turn and follow him. But that is not to be confused 
with the message in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, where the Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The meaning of confession is not changed. It is uh, turning to agree with God. But uh, the Christian, we have the liberty to come boldly before the throne of grace, the Bible tells us, and confess our sins to God, including the sin of following our own plans and laying that at Jesus' feet so that he may forgive us and restore fellowship. When, but, the, but the unsaved man in confession agrees with the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Christian confesses his sins. The unsaved must confess Christ. But it is both, uh, both of these functions, though they be in different economies, they are an example of turning to God. The Christian should not be afraid of turning to God. The Christian should not let the devil tell him that because of his sins, he is somehow unsaved. Then Jesus promised Peter a will greater than his own, that he would be a fisher of man and carry God's message. If you have trusted Jesus Christ for eternity, then your eternal life is already underway. Are you trusting Jesus for the here and now? If you're saved, you're already an eternal child of God. We're waiting the rapture or until he takes us off this earth when we die. We will see him. We have no reason not to trust him for the here and now. Are you willing to ask God to what more he wants you to do? And are you afraid he might say yes? Pastor advises me, as we have our invitation, that you're beginning a soul-winning uh, soul program here at Keitha Heights Baptist, and praise the Lord for that. Now is the time to ask God, I believe, to use you in a way you hadn't seen. Don't expect it to be something big and dramatic. Expect it to be a question of serving God in the small things. And look for the small blessings, the, the things that don't necessarily stir the hearts and emotions of everyone around you, but by which the Holy Spirit within you will show you that God is working. Are you willing to avail yourself for God to use that? Amen. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed, please. As the piano plays, if you want to come to the altar and do business with God and thank him for 